On this edition of Flying High, the Philly fans' perspective, we are back from a long break. Justin is back. It's great to have him back, and we are Woo. talking all birds. Are you ready for this, Justin? Yeah, man. Let's do it. Let's uh, put the final dirt on the coffin of the of the Eagles season. But no, it wasn't that. It wasn't nearly that morbid. But uh, yeah, we gotta we gotta talk about our thoughts about how this all ended and how it all went because. Oh boy, it was not the season I think we all thought it was going to be and how it would go. But uh, in the end, it was fun. So we will uh, we will get to that. That it was, and it was capped off with a nice trip to New Orleans. But first, send request, play us in. All right, so welcome into Flying High, the Philly fans' perspective. Justin, welcome back to the podcast. It's been a while. Justin and I kind of took a little, little hiatus, little break after the Eagles to kind of, uh, you know, recuperate and deal with our losses. We actually did that initial podcast after the loss, which was really bold and brave of us to do something like that with such strong feelings, but. Properly following that episode, we took a few weeks off to deal with this thing called life outside of Philadelphia sports and the podcast. It's pretty wild, but it's good to it's have you wild back, out Justin. there. Yeah, thanks, man. It's wild out there. You know, uh, you know, we've we've I've talked openly about my my uh, life with a baby. So, you know, sometimes that gets in the way and you try to schedule a podcast and the baby doesn't want to sleep. And so, you know, it's only so much time in the day. And, uh, you know, she got the better of me a couple of times. But uh I think fortunately she's uh, currently sleeping, so we should be all right. And uh, uh, I'm find, glad to be back find at some, it. Find some wood to knock on if you're going to say something like that, you know? Yeah, man. Uh, no, you're <laughs> right. You're right. Jeez. Oh, but uh, yeah, hey, life, life happens, and you got to roll with the punches. So here we are, back at it. Glad to be back. And I listen. I had no choice but to come back after uh, you brought another man onto our show. <laughs> I definitely did make sure that I pointed out multiple times in that episode. <laughs> he was strictly a special guest uh, coming on to talk some Sixers with us. And uh, also in that podcast, I noted that my two solo episodes felt kind of like I was in the woods camping alone and scared. And you really wanted to come save me, but you were busy saving the world by being <laughs> a teacher and a father and all that stuff. So I gave you some love in those episodes, Justin. Oh, Don't nice. you worry. I promise. Nice. But, uh, yeah, there's been a lot of stuff going on around Philadelphia. Uh, I had to do those two podcasts because Justin was doing his life, and I finally had a little break in my life. And Tobias Harris, his life completely changed coming over to Philadelphia. So I had to do a little bit on that and then get the Sixers take. But today, it's, it's funny. Our first episode back as the dynamic duo of the Flying High crew we took some time off because we needed to recuperate from the Eagles season. And what are we coming back with, Justin? Uh, the Sixers. No. Uh, ah. the, 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 no. Yeah, we, we, we got to talk about this because, um, you know, we haven't – now we've had time to process, right? Now we've had time to analyze. We watched the Super Bowl. Uh, we watched uh, They Who Will Not Be Named win the Super Bowl yet again. And I think enough time – I think it's marinated, marinated enough to the point where we can kind of sit down and – put our thoughts together, look at the season as a whole, talk about the, the Carson stuff and, you know, kind of 
look at the team from a 30,000 foot view and see, you know, what are, what are we looking at here going into the draft and what are we looking at here going into mini camp and what is the structure of this team going to look like? Uh, Cause I think it's going to be very different. Yeah. And I guess we can start off before we hit the season recap, we're kind of doing tonight, we're going to do a season recap and then a moving forward section where we look position by position. How are we going to assess the needs in the off season? But we'll start off with, this Philly Voice article that came out um, kind of seemed like a slander piece, really bashing Carson Wentz. And when I first read it, I know I had contacted you, Justin, and I, I could believe it, but it definitely looked like a piece where the writer was a strong anti-Carson type of person. But then Philadelphia Eagles players, Fletcher Cox, uh, Chris Long, the list goes on. I, I can't remember all of them. I know Lane came out and said something but they all had his back. Um, so just your initial thoughts on that article. I, I know that you and you thought that it was absolute garbage from the get go, but I was more on the side of, I can see how this is a possibility that there could be some issues in there or not even that there's issues in the locker room, but just the fact that he is this strong willed, you know, type a personality that is, is going to face confrontation and not back down. I could see how, um, there could be some some issues in there, but your initial thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, so you you sent me the uh, the link initially, and I, as soon as I read the headline, I was like, this is yeah, this is bogus. And so I had to take a step back and put my analytical cap on. And so I read the article, I made sure to read it top to bottom, and I you know I came out of there feeling very very frustrated, I think, and and sort of number one, I don't read Philly Voice a lot. That's not really where I would go for my sports. You know, so so for I thought it was weird at first. It, it was coming from a place like that. Joe Santaliquido, not a guy who I read often. Um, he's not a guy who breaks news, you know, for Philadelphia. Um, you know, if it, people who follow Philadelphia sports and specifically the Eagles for breaking news would look at somebody maybe like, uh, you know, Ruben Frank or Jeff McClain or. Um, you know, even uh, to you know to a lesser extent now, Howard Eskin. But you know, he's usually always right when he breaks stuff. So there are certain people that you know when they break stuff, it's true. Um, and so when this sort of came out, it was sort of like, well, how does how does this guy have this information? So I was a little skeptical from that point. You know, Joe Santaquito, yeah, he's been around for a while, but he's not a guy who. When's the last time you heard a breaking story from Joe Santaquito? You know, so there was that aspect to it. Um, and I think the first couple of days I was just very defensive about it because I don't I didn't want to believe that Carson was this destructive force in the locker room, which is how it was made out to be. Now, I give the Philly media a lot of credit because they not that they tore it up. Some outlets did, but they really really did their homework on it. Mike Messinelli, you know, even Angelo Cataldi, all the radio stations were talking about this thing. And I think that it got talked about so much um, that you really started to find out, you know, after a while that it, that yes, it was written. It definitely was written with an angle, right? So you could kind of make peace with that. You're like, all right, this guy had, uh, you know, maybe, maybe there was a little, whoever he was talking to had an agenda, right? They clearly someone had an agenda. Okay. Uh, so that much was clear. And then people started speculating like who it was, like, was it Alshon Jeffrey? Was it Jay Ajay? Like, so I guess what I'm getting to now is, is, is we're about what, three weeks removed from that. And I think 
And since then, Carson has come out and spoken. So and I think so I think at this point, it's sort of died down. I think people are more willing to accept that it was. And he was brutally honest about it, that he's not a perfect guy. You know, he he has competitive conversations with coaches. If he feels like something needs to be changed, he'll say that. And I appreciate that transparency. I appreciate that honesty. I know Carson Wentz isn't perfect. I know he's not this good old, you know, North Dakota nit- nitwit that some people think he is. You know what I mean? Like this simpleton that, that people think he is. I mean, no, he's not. And I think if you're going to ask me, like, do I want a competitive quarterback? Do I want a quarterback that's not afraid to speak up? The answer is yes. Have you ever seen Tom Brady on the sideline? He's he's basically uh, argued with every offensive coordinator he's ever had, pub- ever had publicly. So... You know, I can I think that's where I'm at right now. I think so. I guess tail tail the tape is, yes. At first, I was I was frustrated and kind of wanted to just, you know, whenever someone asked me about it, I would, I kind of just wanted to dismiss it. I'm a little more believable. I think it's a little more believable now that maybe there were certain things that were true, maybe taken a little bit out of context, but but that are true, and I think I'm okay with most of those things. Yeah, I think the wording of the article especially made it out to be worse than it actually was. And I really respect Carson for coming out and talking about it as well and owning up to it, not just talking about it and defending it, saying, you know, this guy is talking trash and my teammates have my back. He really stepped up and admitted that he has faults. And I think he might actually learn from this. It sounded to me like he took a step back and did some introspection and hopefully we'll come out of this as a better teammate. He also spoke about how the injury played a huge role on that and how it's so difficult to focus on being a good teammate when you have to focus on rehabbing and he's running and practicing on a totally different field than the rest of his teammates. But he did say that he he's going to step back and look at it and see what situation he may have been seen as a bad teammate or or viewed as a bad teammate and try and fix that in the long run. So I think that's very mature and what we want to see out of our franchise quarterback. Yeah, 100%. I mean, now I'll, I'll, I will say that I don't think he had very much choice in, you know, I think he had to address it at some point. You know, the Eagles um, media staff was was had been probably preparing him for this for weeks. So I think he had to say something, but yes, I agree with you. I, I think this is a great learning experience. I do believe him when he says, um, you know, when he was very transparent about how that affected him and we all as fans need to understand he's a human being, you know, this is, he's 26 years old. I mean, you know, I look back to when I was 26 years old, you know, and I was, you know, still very much immature in a lot of ways. So, you know, he, and he's playing on the highest stage, the highest level of criticism. So, yeah, no one's impervious to all that. So I give him a lot of credit for, for being honest about it. And I think that moving forward, you know, I don't think this is going to really be an issue. I think this is going to be one of those things you look back on and it was just a th- it was just an article that was written, you know. Yeah, and it was an article written very shortly after the season ended that season that was interesting to me can i the, the, the timing of it too you know what i mean yeah. like why did it come out right after it was like that week it was literally like a week after that game so is that was that a rhetorical question or or did you cuz i think i i mean i think in my mind it comes out at that point because the discussion over foles whence 
peaked right before that Saints game, and it kind of died down as soon as we lost the Saints game. There was still a lot of discussion about it, but that was kind of the game that settled who our quarterback is going forward. And this Philly Voice article from a writer who seemed to be in that Foles area, like on the extreme level, perhaps wanted to stir up conversation again. Yeah, I think you could be right about that, you know, um, and obviously releasing that during the season wouldn't really, I mean, you wouldn't be, you're not going to do anybody, you're not going to do yourself any favors by releasing that during the season. Uh, you're, and plus Philly voice would have been crazy to let him do it. But um, yeah, I think you're right. I think um, they needed, you know, the editors probably saw that and said, oh yeah, this could be a good press for us. So uh I just did. I, I, that's the only. I didn't agree with it. I, I didn't think it was the the right time, but it's never the right time, you know. In the media, I just, you know, the team was reeling, the fans were reeling, and I thought it was just a crappy time to come out with a, you know, pretty bogus piece like that. So, and it's always difficult to put out a piece like that, or uh, not say put out a piece, but to um, really respect a piece like that when it's all just unnamed sources and you have to try and play who is the unnamed source if there was at least one or two who would come forward i know you can't come forward that was my initial thought was nobody's going to come forward and say something like that about carson so that's why they may actually have been unnamed sources but as the players come out and support him you realize that whoever these quote unnamed sources were were not vital parts of the team. Yeah, I think that's probably true. And that's the two points. That's two points also that, you know, you bring up that I think were important was that, um, you know, so many guys came out and, and immediately stuck up for him, which I thought said a whole lot, but the unnamed sources thing, I understand you got to protect sources, but when it's like a hit piece like that and you're, you're coming after a player, I just, you got to have more than that. You, you can't come out with uh, all, you know, Hey, unnamed sources and this guy's a bad teammate. You know what I mean? I, I just, I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't think you could live in both those worlds, but I know how it works. I, I, you have to protect your sources. I get it. Especially when one of the claims is that this veteran leader spoke up against him and Carson said himself that he has no idea who that guy was. So if there's a, a claim as like a veteran leader that is a major part of the team is stepping up and questioning Carson, there has to be some more substance to that other than simply an unnamed veteran leader. Any thoughts on who you think that might be? Because really every player who I looked at as a leader on the team spoke out against this article. Like guys like Chris Long, Malcolm Jenkins, Jason Peters, Fletcher Cox, uh, you know, name, name, name a guy who is loved on the team and they spoke out against it. the only guys you really didn't hear from were Alshon Jeffrey, JHI, Guy like running backs and wide receivers. That's really the only guys, and none of those guys I would consider leaders on the in the locker room. Yeah, and I, I really have I I can't put a, f a finger on who it might have been initially. I thought it would be someone out of the receiving core who didn't get the touches they want, but that, in my mind it was Alshon or Nelson Aguilar, and I, I really. Don't see Nelson Aguilar as someone who's going to stand up in front of Carson and, nah. you know, f and, and I also don't see Nelson Aguilar uh, defined as a veteran leader. No. Like, and, you know, Alshon was just seen with Carson last night at the Sixers game. You know yeah. what I mean? So, uh, you know, I don't know, dude. I, it's hard to tell what's what's smoke and what's fire here. So, you know, I kind of just. And besides, the other thing that I am thinking is any player who 
considers themselves a veteran leader is not going to reveal or not reveal themselves as an unnamed source. Any veteran leader is going to own up to their, you know, questioning of. You would think so. I think that was probably just smoke. But so that's where I'm at with the with the article, and I've kind of really just moved on from it, um, and I haven't really given it too much too much more thought because I don't think it's really there's really a point to it. And that's the best thing to do. So we're actually going to move on now towards this past season. Looking back, uh, it ended bittersweet because we made a run towards the playoffs that we didn't really see coming at one point in the season, specifically that Dallas Cowboys game when we all but rode off the season. But at the same time, we beat the Bears on the road and we had an incredibly good chance to beat the Saints on the road and go to L.A. to face a Rams team where we had a good chance on the road. So it's kind of tough to eat that or swallow that and think about it. But after weeks of consideration now, we're going to look back and grade the 2019 season. I'm sorry, the 2018 season um, by different categories, starting off with the coaching staff. My initial thoughts with the coaching staff is horrible start, stellar finish. I gave them a B on the year, and the reason I give them the B is because they started out so terribly, um, you know, they just seemed to lack a killer instinct when you look back at games like the Titans game and the Panthers games when you have these huge leads. As the coaches, you have to be right in there with your players telling them, step on their throats. You have to have that step on their throat mentality. And it goes from the coaches down to the players. Nobody on that team had that mentality where they wanted to kill. I don't know if it was Super Bowl hangover like we talked all year, but that that killer instinct wasn't there. And to a further extent, they didn't even show up for some games. I felt a lot early on in the season, especially once again, that it was more the teams didn't come and beat the Eagles. The Eagles just lost the game. They beat themselves. You look at a Vikings game that was easily winning. Both Cowboys games, especially that first game, and then the Bucks game on the road, to me in particular, stick out. Where, like, I remember watching that first Sunday night Cowboys game, thinking, "Here we go. This is when our season really kicks off. We got this one. The Cowboys are atrocious, and the Cowboys didn't impress me. We just didn't do anything. And I think that was part of that lack of a killer instinct all season long. Yeah, I think B is appropriate. Um... I originally thought about going B minus, but B, you know, you look at the way the job that Doug Peterson did down the stretch was not, was amazing. I mean, the guy can flat out coach. And I said as much in our post saints game podcast, that guy can flat out coach. And I am so impressed what by him. Um, I said, number one concern uh, coming into the year all along was the Super Bowl hangover. And I thought that this team was too good, I guess. Um, they were too good in the locker room and and led by uh, so many good guys that I didn't I couldn't see it happening, but there were other factors. You know the the, the Wentz rust factor. You had all the noise with Wentz and Foles, that I think no matter how little we want to say it didn't play a factor. I think to some extent it did, um, but also it's just hard to win in the NFL, and so it, it takes a special group of guys to. Uh, play at that same level year after year. And and they didn't do that early on. You're right. They gave away a lot of games. The defense really didn't come together until 
it was forced to play guys that we never thought would make an impact. And that sort of, you know, those defensive changes, adding in guys like LeBlanc, letting Maddox play um, and letting Douglas play, that arguably turned the season around the defense, you know, the defensive changes. Um, obviously, the offense started to play a little better after a stretch where they didn't score points in the first quarter at all. They were averaging 22 points a game, which was one of the lowest. It was the bottom third of the league. So, you know, we talked and we talked a lot about Mike Grow. Is this guy still, you know, is this guy unqualified? Uh, still, jury's still out on that for me. I think Doug definitely needs to look at And I know they already hired somebody, uh, you know, during our hiatus. They, they hired somebody that was supposed to be like a special did you see that? I don't know if you saw that. They hired someone who's supposed to be like a special uh, consultant for the offense. I I saw a bunch of coaching decisions that were made that are kind of, you know, f- bottled up in my brain. They all came at once where it was like three coaches are leaving, two coaches yeah. here, another coach yeah. coming in. So I, I can't remember who that was. Yeah. So, so they're, they're, you know, I give the coaching staff a B. They, they have to, they have to get credit for what they did down the stretch. And if not for injuries in that Saints game, we could be talking about another trip to the Super Bowl. You know, look at like after what we saw from the Rams in that game. I mean, hey, you, I, I just, I, I think this was a case of a lot of things went wrong early. Still very much the same team, still the same ability. It wasn't about ability. And the coaching staff, you know, yeah, they had trouble early on, I think, just kind of figuring out uh, how to get the team, you know, how, how to keep this team, all, you know, on the track for winning. And I think um, they did figure it out. It was, you know, and it was a little later than we would have liked, but they did a nice job. And I'm not worried about coaching moving forward. There's some tweaks, I think, that, that need to be made. But Jim Schwartz, Doug Peterson, uh, I'm good with those guys moving forward. Yes. Yeah. And I think like, like you talked about that end of the season kind of push and the way that the locker room remained even keel, whether they were entirely even keel the whole season, but they stayed even keel enough to make it towards the playoffs and they never doubted each other. So the way Doug has that locker room, uh, clicking and where they all enjoy being there, uh, they spoke, multiple players spoke about how free agents are going to want to come to Philly because Doug allows you to be you, but he also keeps control. He doesn't He doesn't have mayhem going on in the locker room with a bunch of egos. It's just everybody's allowed to be themselves, but uh, they stay under Doug's control. So that's where the coaching goes up to the B. Moving on to the offense, for me, I see it as a C, and... There were so many factors in this season that dictate how the offense played, starting with Carson Wentz. And there's no doubt in my mind now, especially looking now, that he was was injured all season still. He never fully recovered from that knee injury. I think he was rushed back too early from that. Um, Perhaps the pressure of either the media with the Carson-Nick fiasco or just Carson himself being that type of stubborn person who's like, I want to come back now. And the coaching staff made that happen earlier than it should have. His knee wasn't ready. He wasn't mobile all season. But that, that's in hindsight because at the time, I'm thinking Carson is not looking the same. He's not clutch. 
maybe last year was a fluke, but when you look back and now it all comes out that knee was injured and then the back became injured in October, there was never a part of this season where he was 100%. So you have to factor that in. But I just think overall the rushing issues and the lack of a running game and the lack of calling rushing plays was enough to set this team at a C, even though they came back strong at the end of the season. Like you said before, that was kind of defensively based. And then the offense also caught on. uh, The offensive line got healthier as the season went on. But that rushing game was never existent. They never, ever, ever had. I guess you could say Sproles is that guy towards the end of the season and into the playoffs. But such a big hole in the rushing game. And if you don't have a, a semi-balanced attack, you can't get more than a C. Yeah, I think that a C is, is more than fair here. Uh, the offense was the big one. It was the absolute biggest reason for, you know, the team, the team's performance early on in the first, you know, six or seven games and the defense playing you know, at least decent in some of those games, except for the Tampa game. Um, yeah, the Carson issues, you know, and I, I'm of the mind. I think that Carson probably should have sat out this entire year. Uh, that might be a little extreme to some people, but you had Nick Foles. You, you didn't. And I remember it's easy for me to say this now, but I remember being like, no, no matter what, he's the number one. You don't want any more controversy. You got to get him back in there. If you start Nick Foles, it could cause any wins, another one, blah, 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 all that stuff. But you know what, man, if you know, no matter what, like, Hey, Nick Foles wins us another Super Bowl, where it's, it's still Carson Wentz. Then you, you don't rush that guy back. You know what I mean? Howie Roseman's the one who was in control. He's the one who says if there's a controversy. So if he, and Doug get together and say, we don't want to rush him back, then they got to sit Carson down and say, no, we're not doing it. And you know what? You need to relax. You're our quarterback moving forward no matter what, even if Nick goes out and wins another one. And so if it was partly Carson being the guy to say that, then then that's I think that what, that's what they should have done, and maybe they didn't do that. But there's no reason why they, they – and again, Nick wasn't terrific this season. He wasn't – his MVP self the entire season. He, he, he got better, but I think people were expecting more out of him by that third game that people were, were ready for Wentz to come back. But there's no reason why there were other issues besides Nick. There were, we know this. So there's no reason why you couldn't have gone all season with Nick Foles and just rested your franchise quarterback. Who's going to be here for the next 10 to 12 years. So yeah, the offense gets to see, I think they will be better next year. Having this experience uh, under their belt is going to help, and hopefully we get some more personnel in here. Yes, for certain. Um, can only go up from that middle part of the season. At the end, we saw some of the flashes of greatness that could be, but a fully healthy Carson is number one in raising the offense's grade. Looking at the defense now, If you had asked me this, you know, halfway through the season or even three quarters of the way through, uh, they would have been an abysmal, at least D minus, probably an F. Once again, we were passionate Philly fans in the moment. It's so difficult to understand just how hard the injuries were hitting them. I mean, the different names that we saw playing, we had Chandon Sullivan, Devante Bosby, Avante Maddox stepped up big time, and then at the end of the season, Trey Sullivan and Craven LeBlanc uh, were just in huge factors to the success of this team. 
With all that said, I give the defensive a B minus because all season long, that defensive line is just a rock. You can count on them to be efficient, to stop the run. And I was looking at some of the stats. I, I thought that they were having trouble getting to the quarterback. I guess it was just they had trouble with sacks or, or bringing more than just the front four getting pressure on them because the Eagles had 133 quarterback hits this season. And I looked at some of the other teams around the league and the bears were the top defense in the league. They only had a hundred QB hits. And then the Rams who are another great defense only had 94. So we were actually way ahead of both those teams. I'm, I'm not sure why it looked so different um, with the eye test. Perhaps that's just a lack of the overall blitzing more than just the front four. I think so. The eye test was not kind, I think, to either the offense or defense early on. I mean, so even if the numbers backed it up and and, and the the same thing with Carson, like the eye test was not kind to Carson, yet the numbers were almost identical uh, to what they were last year. So the eye test could be very deceiving. Um, And uh, yeah, and at times it looked like the defense uh, was kind of back to where it was when we were, uh, you know, like Juan Castillo cornerbacks can't cover anybody. Right. But no, they, 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 you know, they stood so tall at the end of that season. And, uh, you know, it, it's at this point now we're, we're going to, you know, we're going to talk about it later on in the, in the out, uh, outline, but, uh, you know, who do we want to start at this point? We got, we have different options now. So, and, our, and I think this defense is going to look it has to look different um, next year. So, and I think it still will be very good. It has a chance to be very good. So, yeah, the the, the B minus B B minus for the for the defense it's because they got better towards the end. That they, they like the offense, it helps them um, that they got into the playoffs and and played very well and and held the Saints, you know, to uh, what's the score of that game now? I'm so it was twenty points. It was twenty so they, to fourteen. Yeah, they held them to twenty points. I mean, if you told me they would have held them to twenty points. I would have said we win that game because my my initial prediction was 27-24 Eagles. So, yeah. yeah. That was, uh, that was, I mean, they came on very strong. And like you said, we'll talk about it later when we're looking forward. But you have to wonder, at the beginning of the season, some of the issues were coming from more veteran players such as Jalen Mills, Ronald Darby, and Sidney Jones. And then players like Trey Sullivan and Avante Maddox uh, stepped up at the end of the season. But... We'll discuss that later on and kind of rounding out our 2018 grades, just looking at special teams. I gave it a B. Um, You know, Jake Elliott was good. He wasn't the same magical kicker that he was last season, but he made all the big kicks when you needed it. You know, looking back at the season as a whole, um, I think the double doink was was the big (laughs) special teams winner. I don't know who controlled that. I guess it was the fingertip of... Uh, Trayvon Hester, who is the winner of special teams for the season. But um, we have the best punter in the league, I think, after watching some of the magic that Cam Johnston can do. So that's a bonus there. You you never want your, to have to you know count on your punter. But if we have to, Cam Johnston is one of the top punters in the league, without a doubt. I think next year you're going to have to look at a different uh, re- uh, return Course, yes. I don't know what's going on with Sproles, but you have to find somebody who isn't a fake Sproles, but can step in there and take over that duty of return man, both in the kickoff game and in the punt return game. Yeah, I think, you know, special teams is a hard one to, to grade for me because I don't often really analyze. I don't watch special teams that analyze it. But yeah, Jake was Jake was is adequate. Jake's an adequate 
uh, kicker. He needs to cut down on the, uh, the, you know, the extra point misses. But those are down across the league. So it's really kind of hard to evaluate. Um, ever since they moved it back, those are kind of up and down across the league. And guys are – it's so weird. Guys are missing 30-yard chip shots like ever before. Uh, so it, it's – and that's that's just all over. So I, he needs to work on that a little bit more. Um, but you know he's money from like the restaurant across the street from the stadium. So and he's also like, he's got that that ice in his veins where when it's when it's a big kick where you need him to make it, he comes through clutch more often than not. Yeah. So I, I will keep Jake Elliott honestly uh, over you know twenty other kickers in the league. Um, and you're you're right on. You hit the nail on the head. I think we need we need a we lack a dynamic returner right now. Uh, that would be really nice uh, to find that maybe maybe something in the draft. I think that they had hopes that who's the tiny dude that they, why am I so bad with names? No, no tight, I was calling Donnell him Pomfrey. Uh, oh, Pomfrey. I, I, I think I think they were hoping Pomfrey was going to become the returner right when they drafted him, and they were hoping he was going to be Sproles Light. Yeah, he's not at all. He's he's just, not. He's working at Wawa, maybe. Um, <laughs> so be, that would be a nice job. No, it sorry, Donnell, if you're listening to this podcast, I doubt you are, but you know, hope all's well. But you're not. You know, you can't cut it in the NFL, and unfortunately, they uh, they drafted him. So that's why you don't draft players hoping that they're going to be like the same thing as like a future <laughs> hall of famer. You know what I mean? Like you don't do, you don't do that. You just, you draft based on need. You draft based on best player available. That's what you do. You don't look at a guy and go, Oh, Hey, he's small and athletic. Maybe he could be Darren Sproles. That's, that's yeah, what you don't do. That's trying to kind of rob the draft, especially like you can look at a player like that. If it's a top 10 pick or something, when you have a Saquon Barkley coming in, you can think, Oh, this guy's, you know, could be one of the best running backs in the league. But if you're reaching in the second and third rounds, hoping, Oh, like maybe this guy's going to be like a Chris Carson or, or Russell Wilson, where you get a steal in the third or fourth round, you just can't bank on that type of thing. Now the flyers did it with not to cross sports, but the flyers did it with drafting Samuel Moran in 2014, hoping that he, because he's six, seven on skates and they're like, Oh, that guy looks a lot like Chris Pronger and he fights and he hits. And, uh, you know, he can play defense a little bit. And it turns out that uh, not only is he injury prone, but he might not be an NHL player. So it's like you just you don't do that. You just draft to take the best player available or take what you need. You know what I mean? So, uh, yeah, special teams B move on. Yeah, take what you need. So now we're going to move on moving forward to the 2019 season, I guess. Is it crazy to say that it's. If we make the playoffs, it's the 2019-2020 season. Is that it's crazy, appropriate man. to say? It's crazy. 2020. Uh, getting old, man. Getting old. But looking forward, the quarterback position is staying young. If we had had this discussion, even right after that Saints game, there was still a strong argument that I would have made where you could look either way. But the team has come out. Carson's the guy. And... We're all on board in Philadelphia for the most part. I know there's some some crazies or not crazies, just some people who still believe that Nick should be the guy. Um, going forward, it's Carson. The Flat thing Earth that, people, basically. Uh, uh, the thing that I had an <laughs> issue was like we we were gonna have this big Carson Nick debate, and then uh, it kind of died down. But the only thing that I was really irked with 
um, in general were people who refer to you as psycho for believing that Nick Foles could be the quarterback of this team. I think there's a lot of people who, you know, when, when the rumors were surfacing about not rumors, the, the theories that it could be a good move to send Carson somewhere for two first round picks or, or more, that would oh, be the geez. minimum. But I, I mean, I know you were on the, you were, you know, very strongly opinion on all in on Carson and I was as well, but I, I was offended a little bit by people who were just calling you blatantly stupid for believing that Nick Foles could be a starting quarterback on your team. No, and I, and I joke with you, and, and I understand the argument. The guy won a, he won an MVP. It's not out, and and I think I agreed with you that if he had won um, the Super Bowl, that you at least have to have a conversation about it. Yes, um, so. Yeah, I don't, and I like I joke, and I don't, I don't think that those people are stupid, but I do think it's. I, I have to say, I think it's a ludicrous idea to trade away a 26 year old franchise quarterback who had an MVP season. I ju- it's it's just, it's the definition of of everything that's wrong in Philly sports and all the mistakes that Philadelphia teams have made in the past. It's just. every bad move that every Philadelphia team has made, it's like that would immediately shoot to number one. Uh, It just, I, uh, it's so crazy because in, on one hand I can say that I understand and that's the uniqueness of the situation. Uh, But at at the end of the day, it's just, you just can't do it. You, You can have a conversation about it. You can talk about it. Like maybe if somebody came up to you and said, Hey, you can have our next first four first round picks. Like, draft day you're Kevin Costner and you're just like sure take my take my next three first round picks maybe uh I I mean I guess but you gotta be you gotta be sure you're okay with that you know what I mean yeah so I think that the negative of Carson leaving the city and going on to have a great career is worse than Nick leaving and continuing to have a great career uh, you kind of just have to live with that and know how much you gave up just to get Carson is the very reason why you can't afford to give him away. The thing that one of the things that irked me was the way that people were referring to Foles as this old guy who doesn't have much left and Carson's so young. There's only a three year difference between the two. And it could be argued that Nick Foles is hitting the best strides of his career where he's really accepting what his true strengths are and understanding that and becoming a better quarterback because of that. But in sheer athleticism and ability, Carson beats out Nick. So they each have their pros and cons is the way I was able to look at it in that it's not like you're have one quarterback who's a 34 year old who just happened to win the Super Bowl on the last leg of his career, like a Kurt Warner or something. If he had won with the Cardinals back in, in that day. And it's not like a 22 year old quarterback who is so young that it's unbelievable. It's like a 26 year old and a 29 year old. So I see how there could be an argument for either one. Yeah, I a hundred percent agree. And, uh, and again, I understand the argument. So I am on the, I, you know, I'm on the, the Carson Wentz train in, in the respect that, yes, you, you just, if he was 29 or 30, 
I could see it. Like if he was Nick's age, I could see it. But you got to that's four years. You, that's four years that you got to take and just run with it because you you can you might never get those four years back. And if he's healthy for those four years, it could be a it could be a very lucrative four years for us in this city. Yeah, and uh, once again to cross sports. I'm kind of on the same mindset right now with Tobias Harris and Jimmy Butler as to bringing one back over the other when Tobias Harris is 26 and Jimmy Butler's uh, 29. So it's the same deal where it's just a little bit of youth and more more hope makes it a better decision, I guess. But uh, looking at what they've done so far, the team picked up Nick's $20 million option to which he bought out for $2 million. Uh, now it's a speculation game as to whether they're going to franchise tag him or not. And to be quite honest, at this point in time, in the Philadelphia media and uh, in national sports media, you just don't know what's, what is going on until that official blue check mark of the Philadelphia Eagles says, Nick Foles has done this, or Nick, we have done this. So you, you just don't know what's going to happen regarding him, whether you're going to get some draft picks or not, but... Moving forward, Carson is our quarterback. Number 11. Get used to it. Yeah, and I thought somebody tweeted out that that was against the CBA for us to tag him and then try to trade him. I, I don't know if that's there's any truth to that, but I would assume that that is what the Eagles are going to try to do um, because that's what's been speculated this whole time. So uh, they're going to try to get something for him. There's definitely a market for him. There are, quarter, there are teams that need quarterbacks. So, you know... Uh, It'll be interesting to see what happens. Uh, I'm just I'm I'm a little thankful that the debate is over here, and I'm eager to have my franchise quarterback back. And I love Nick Foles. I've said this openly. I um, you know, I have a crush on him. I love him. He's beautiful, and he gave me a Super Bowl. So you know what? I'll you know I'll always I'll always love that dude. So it's it's definitely nothing personal. You know. Yeah, and I, I think that I was really able to ease my mind in writing a 13,000-word letter to Nick Foles where I really yeah, you did thought it over. That. I thought it over in my head, and that was a really good... It was a really nice way to have therapy without having to talk to anybody and just writing it out. And looking back at his career, really, he was dealt a poor hand. He had a, a great start here in Philly, but he never was able to get that 100% stamp of approval from his coach who was a, like that man nearly destroyed this franchise for a long, long time. And I just learned, so I, uh, this is a side note at work. The girl who sits next to me is from Oregon and mm. somebody wrote a song before Chip Kelly left Oregon about how they wanted Chip Kelly to stay in Oregon. And my God, I wish he would have just listened to that song and stayed because he destroyed the Philadelphia Eagles. Man, it's, you know, it's like, geez, you ho you sit here and say like, uh, it's definitely a three years that we could omit and and never care about it. But then who, we might not have never we might yeah. never have gotten Doug Peterson. You're absolutely so it, right. Everything happens for a reason. Yep. The only the only thing really that I look back in that time is how many great players we have that I would have loved to have seen bring a champ. Like, I would have loved to have seen Lashawn and Deshaun and Jeremy Macklin bring one home, but. We have one now, and they're always some of our favorite players. Uh, we'll never forget them, so that's all that matters on that. Um, yep. Moving forward, we have our running back situation, and this is really uh, something that we need to look at long and hard because this is one of the biggest holes on this Philadelphia Eagles teams. Um, 
I guess I'll start with you and ask you what you're thinking, because I have a, a few different scenarios that they that this team could take. Well, I'm I'm uh, you know I've been adamant that they need a number one running back, and whether that's through through free agency or the draft, they need a number one running back, and I think the draft is going to be harder to acquire one. Uh, because bell cow running backs are not, they don't just grow on trees. And I haven't looked at the draft uh, class this year to see if it's strong with running back. I haven't heard that it's specifically strong running back wise, but they have so many other needs too. You know, they have to try to replace Brandon Brooks. Now they, they need uh, offensive line help. They need defensive ends and they need linebacker help. So there are a lot of, issues that they need to address. And so I don't know where running back fits. Uh, all I know is that if they go into the draft, having not addressed it yet, then it's, it sort of shoots up to the top of my list. They need, even if you don't get a bell cow, you need a certifiable number one, a guy who, you know, is your guy on the first three downs, you know, or the fir- first two downs or whatever. Um, preferably a pass catching back uh, to, you know, to, to help spruce up this offense a little bit. So that's, that's really what I, I think that they need. They need to stop. They can no longer afford to piecemeal their running back position. And Deuce Staley's is too good of a coach. I think, you know, they need to give him some, they need to give him something to work with. Uh, I think this Clement Smallwood Adams, Jai thing, this is not going to work next year. I think they need to kind of scrap that. Uh, I think, <laughs> Excuse me, Clement. I think had a chance to run away with the job and really didn't show us anything. He, you know, and so Smallwood is is a he's a scrappy guy. I kind of would like to keep him just because he's a gamer and you know he has trouble staying on the field. But when he's in there, he does he does good work. He's blue collar. I like him. I think he's he's Philadelphia. So I would keep him. Uh, Josh Adams. I, I don't know. I really don't know what we have in that guy. It's hard because he really wasn't given a chance. He was when he was used, he looked good, uh, and there were just times where he just wasn't used at all. So you're kind of left wondering, like, what did he do? Do the coaching staff just not trust him? And Ajayi, I think, is just running on two bad knees, and I just don't know how long that's going to last. And we knew that was a risk when we acquired him. I think he's a nice player, but we have to ask ourselves, what do we want? Do we want three or four like? decent running backs or do we want one really good running back and maybe two compliments? So I think that's what we got to figure out. Yeah. And looking at all those names, maybe aside from a guy because he is injury prone, you're right. Clement didn't step up to the challenge. He was given a chance to be the guy, especially following that 2017, uh, 2018 postseason run. But when they're not running enough, they weren't running enough running plays to note whether any of these guys have it in them, especially when Josh Adams shows those flashes of greatness. Unfortunately, he was fumble happy. And I think that's really why they kept him on the sidelines in the postseason because you can't afford a big fumble in the postseason. Right. If he, if he could work on that, you could keep him. And I think he's a guy you can keep around because he was third string borderline practice squad. I don't think anybody's going to be jumping on him where you can work with him. Um, I would also love to see him work with Smallwood a little bit. He looked good in that uh, New Orleans game, and he had his flashes, like you said. Moving forward, though, I think you have two options. You can either assess the need right now in the draft. Um, 
there was only one guy really that screamed any uh, any interest to me, and he's not the kind of guy uh, that is going to be that first round running back. It's um, Benny Snell, who was out of Kentucky, and um, if you didn't know, Kentucky had a pretty good season. It was actually the best in school history. For a season, Kentucky was finally a football school, and it was all around uh, this this defensive player, Josh Allen. Um, I think it was Josh Allen. Anyways, he's he's like going to be the number one or number two overall pick on the defensive line. Was it Josh oh Allen? Oh my god, yeah, he terrorized Penn State, dude. Yeah, he just, yeah. He, he was a monster in that game. He's going to be the number one defensive. Is he defensive end or linebacker? I think he was playing linebacker. He's Wasn't a freak he? of nature. I oh think he, man, he's like a hybrid, but he's got the body type of definitely a, a very fast defensive end who might be able to play linebacker. And he did terrorize a lot of teams. For sure. Yeah. So Benny Snell Um, was kind of the offensive guy on that team. And he has a tattoo on his chest that says Snell. Yeah. And it's pretty awesome. (laughs) But aside from that, um, aside from that, he was a very solid running back in his time at Kentucky. In his senior season, he had uh, almost 1,500 yards, 1,449, and uh, 16 touchdowns. And he was averaging five yards per carry. I think that's really important that he was able to get five yards per carry. I know it's college, but the Eagles were in absolute dead last in the NFC in yards per attempt. So they need somebody who can get them more than just two yards per carry. This guy is a solid running back. And then the year prior, he had uh, 13, 33 yards and 19 touchdowns. So you get him into the red zone. He can score some touchdowns and he'll give you the production yardage wise. He would be projected a third or fourth round pick. So I could see him being a Chris Carson type of running back who he's got an, not an attitude, but he's got personality. He can bruise, but he's also got moves. So if you're going to make a, a, a mid round selection on a draft uh, running back, I think he's the guy you go for. Now that could also turn out being uh, a small wood type pick where he doesn't pan out to be as good as you thought. But I think the fact that he really boosted Kentucky to one of their best seasons ever in a conference like the SEC needs to be noted, and he needs to be taken seriously. Yeah. Aside from that, that, I would say you could try and attack the running back situation where you sign a free agent for one year just to play the role of he's not going to be Bell Bell Cow, but he'll be someone who can give you more production, more legitimate production than a, a Clement or an Adams type player. So three names I saw, uh, uh, you saw CJ Anderson and what he did with the Rams this postseason, where he was able to produce some numbers and he was a thousand yard rusher in 2017. So he's going to be a free agent. Maybe look at a guy like him. Also Alex Collins out of Baltimore. I know when I saw Alex Collins up in the top of the running backs in fantasy this year, I was like, who in the hell is Alex Collins? But he did have 970 yards and six touchdowns with Baltimore in 2017. And this season, his production was way down. They didn't give him nearly as many carries. He still had seven touchdowns. So if you want a back who can give you touchdowns in the red zone, Alex Collins is another choice. And finally, on that free agents list, I see TJ Yeldon. I think we all remember him from Alabama. He was on Jacksonville this year. And he's kind of your Darren Sproles-esque type player, but a little bit bigger, um, a little bit stronger. And I would look at him as someone who can be a catch or run option. He's not going to bruise up the middle, but he's fast as hell and he can catch. So that's your dual threat there. 
Um, those are the three guys I would look at for a one-year rental type. Not rental, but just that one-year signee, see how it goes. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I'm looking at a different list right now. I, I think Yeldon, Yeldon's a nice – he fills in that pass-catching role. Um, I'm looking at – you know, you obviously look at the top of the list. You have Le'Veon Bell. Uh, no idea what's going to happen with Kareem Hunt after all that. I, oh, I think the Eagles, he, the Eagles would stay far away from him. He just signed um, today. Did he? He signed to the Browns. Wow. See, they have no yeah. shame. You know, yeah. they, they, they need to do everything they can do <laughs> to get an edge. So they have no shame. Um, that Wow. Okay. Yeah, he's, I'm, he, you know, he might do well there. You know, he might do well know, there with Baker Mayfield. I was set on Nick Chubb. So if that team's not looking at Nick Chubb in the future, I say find a way to get Nick Chubb to Philly because that guy's going to be a stud. Well, so do you know who is um, after him on this list is Mark Ingram. Yeah, how how old is he? Is he twenty nine now? He's got to be approaching thirty. Yeah, he's got to be approaching thirty. But he's still look, dude. He he hasn't had a ton of mileage because he's been sharing it with Kamara. He's never been, he's been the bell cow there only for like a few years. So he really hasn't had the mileage. Yeah, so I think I it depends know. on the price with him. You know, I because with running backs, you have to look at that age and think even if they haven't had that type of you know, full bell cow production. Most running backs don't have as longevity in the NFL. Um, but if he can, if he can produce that, that type of bulldozer running back straight up the gut. And if the Eagles would actually use him, then he definitely could be a good, good asset to acquire. Even if it's just once again, for that one year to see, I think a one year test period with a free agent could, it would be frustrating to fans if it doesn't go well, just because we really want that running back. Um, but I think someone with a bigger name like that, and then you keep a Josh Adams or or a Smallwood, who can fill in the gaps and yeah, I don't want to say split time, but just you know give them no. a chance to still. And then you know you have uh, guys like Tevin Coleman, JJ is actually going to be a free agent, so we're not you know I, I doubt he's back. But then Spencer Ware, Mike Davis, Amir Abdullah. So, so some good free agents out there, uh, guys that, but, but, they, but again, after Ingram, they're, they're, the rest of them are role guys, right? They're guys, they're like guys we already have. I think Tevin Coleman's better than anybody we have, uh, currently. I think Atlanta, I mean, should try to keep him with Devonta Freeman having, uh, some, some injury history in the past, but you know, I, you don't know, I, I would take Tevin Coleman. Tevin Coleman's good. Yeah. Um, so th- that's that one year plan. And then see, I don't know how they could pull this off. If they're going to assess it in the draft the year after a free agent kind of dealing. But I, I know I have a giant man crush on Deandre Swift out of Georgia and he's set to be able to be in the draft after next season, but he's going to be such an early pick that I don't know how the Eagles get within the top 10 without giving someone away that they don't want to give away. And I just, I cannot envision a season so bad next year that would put land the Eagles in the top 10 of the draft. Yeah, I don't, I don't see that happening. Um, I, I don't see that happening. It would have to be a disastrous year. So yeah, we're not the only situation I could see is us trading up to, to get a running back. If there's a running back on the board. And like I said, with so many other needs, I don't see, you know, trading up requires giving up other assets and picks. And with the Eagles needing so many things, I don't think we're really, 
unless it's a unless it's going to be like a franchise type player. You know what I mean? Unless it's going to be a Saquon Barkley, but they're everybody's going to want a Saquon Barkley. So it, yeah. you know, the price is going to be astronomical. And that player doesn't exist, I don't think, in this draft. So they are more than likely just going to have to deal with what either what they have or just try to supplement with one of these guys and see, you know, bring in Mark Ingram and, and, and try to get better a little bit by a little bit until that player comes around or until you can trade for that player. Um, I don't, I think we've gone down this road, but I don't want Le'Veon Bell. It's not a guy I want in this locker room and there's not a guy that I could see fitting in this locker room. Uh, he's not, I don't think he's generally a good dude. Now, that may be unfair because, you know, he's another another example of someone standing up for what they believe in. You know, the you know, he believes he's worth something. And, you know, these owners have so much money and, you know, sometimes these players have a legitimate gripe. I just the part for me is that you you abandoned your teammates when they needed you. And that is what I can't get over. And I know sometimes you got to stand up for what's right, no matter the cost. But this is a team game. That's not a guy I want, like, watching my back. Yep, I, I absolutely agree with you on that. He's just, that was, I understand knowing your value and understanding you're a running back who doesn't have a great long career prospect, at least, you know, with the running backs having shorter careers. But when you abandon your team like that, there's no place for that. You You have to have your teammates' backs and, if you're really going to try and compete for a championship, you can't have a guy sitting out because he, he feels he's worth more. That that would that would tell me that he thinks he's worth more than the rest of the team who's in there, you know, risking injury and giving everything they have for the organization. He's above the rest of the team and I I just I don't want that in my locker room. So stay yeah. out. We'll we'll see what they do with the running backs. Moving on to receivers. You know, Alshon's in here. I hope they utilize him a little bit more. Um, on those, on the, in the early on in the season, we saw what he can do. All you have to do is throw a ball up to Alshon and he's going to get it. He's yes. winning jump balls. Yes. That the drop in that final game, I'm calling it a fluke. It's not going to happen again. Alshon doesn't drop balls. He's got glue in his gloves. So we're good there on the number one receiver. Now, when you look at the number two guy, uh, you ask, do you keep a golden Tate? Over uh, Nelson Aguilar when the difference in how much they're making, I believe, is $1 million. So Golden Tate's a $10 million guy. Nelson's a $9 million guy. And they're similar type players. Yeah. Um, Alshon is the guy. All right. And make no mistake about that. Uh, he turned out to be everything we wanted in that in that big receiver that and that was early on in his first year too. The kind of the knock on him that he wouldn't. I, I remember saying, "I wish this guy would just go up and get a fifty-fifty ball," and that's like literally all he did that final stretch of of this past season. So, uh, I, I love him as the number one. I'd like to get Elton Nelson a little more involved because those two guys with Zach Ertz should be one of the best trios in the in the league. So uh, you got to get Nelson Aguilar a little more involved. And I know they've struggled to kind of find the outside burner. Uh, you know, you, you, Mike Wallace didn't pan out. Um, you know, uh, Torrey Smith was fine. He helped us win a championship. Uh, and then Golden Tate, you know, I, I don't think he stays. I don't, I don't think they can justify keeping him. Um, 
after really the op, the coordinators not really figuring out how to use him, which was embarrassing that they admitted that. But it just it, it didn't seem like it really clicked here. Maybe they needed maybe they needed an off season. Maybe they needed a camp together. I don't know. But it didn't. It just didn't seem like it worked. I don't know if I want to pay him what we're paying him uh, to stay and to give him term. You know what I mean? So I think there's we can find him in we can find his replacement in the draft um and maybe through free agency because uh, we're really set with our first two receivers and then you got guys like Shelton Gibson and Matt Collins what are we doing with these guys you know what I mean we have to figure out are these guys going to have a future role because Matt Collins was a guy we were looking at coming into the year being like this is kind of his time now that slot is his when Torrey Smith left or when Mike Wallace went down and it just never materialized. He got hurt. And Shelton Gibson was a guy who you heard a lot about in in August, in, in July and August, and he just he, he can't even get on the field. Yeah, so I think what I had the the thing with Shelton Gibson, I don't know if I it was that I read it or that um, some analysts has been talking about it, but the fact that he wasn't on the field kind of told us that he didn't know the playbook or wasn't prepared enough to be on the field and know what's going on. Because when he was on the field, uh, there were flashes of some really hopeful things with him. Mm-hmm. He was never on the field, though. And then Matt Collins was never able to get over that injury bug. So I guess we could give him one more shot uh, this season to be that guy, that, that burner guy. I look at two guys in the draft, really, who remind me of a Deshaun Jackson-type burner because there were discussions about Deshaun coming back to the Eagles. Um, I don't think that that's happens a good every play. Year. Yeah, I really don't think that's a good play at this time. I understand he's that burner, but I just I don't think that's a good move in the long haul, whereas uh, I'm looking at uh, out of Ohio State, you have Paris Campbell, who runs a 4-3-40. He's six foot tall, 205 pounds. Um, he had 90 receptions and over a thousand yards, 12 touchdowns this past season. He's a, you know, late first round to second round selection. So I think if you could steal him in the second round, um, or even if he slips to the third round, that would be a place to get, um, a a deep threat burner. Uh, I think that you have other needs in that first round that you really need to look at. And a receiver is not 100% thing you need to spend a first round draft pick on, especially if he's borderline first round could be a second, maybe slip to third round pick. And then the guy that's been talked about a lot is Marquise Brown out of Oklahoma. Um, he's fast. He is explosively fast, which I, I, to draft someone with explosive speed would be, it would just be such a relief because Jordan Matthews is not going to be a guy who's going... I know he caught a deep ball in that New Orleans game, but that's not a guy who's going deep. And I can't remember the last receiver that was really a, a great pick with explosive speed as a deep threat. I know Nelson John Aguilar... Yeah. Did he ever pan out to do anything, though? Nah, he, he's a guy who, like, every year they, they think he's going to pan out, but, like, really, he ran that four two forty or whatever it was, and, you know, ever since then, it's like, you know, he, he's... That doesn't always translate to football, you know. I mean, you could be, yeah. you could be, you could be Usain Bolt all day, but can you catch a football? Yeah, and when I look at Marquise Brown, he had ten touchdowns, seventy-five receptions, thirteen hundred yards, but in a uh, Big Twelve that is defensively questionable to say the least. Um, it's like a shootout every game, so you have to wonder: is that legitimate, or is that Big Twelve stats that we're looking at there? Um, both players look good, though. Could be an option out of the draft. But otherwise, I think, like you said, Alshon, Nelson, 
Zach Ertz, the big three. And then on the tight end aspect of receiving, get Dallas Goddard involved more. Run more two tight end sets that don't involve a Richard Rodgers or whoever that other guy was that was running as that other tight end. I just yeah. get, get Goddard in there. Run him with Ertz and have that Aaron Hernandez Gronk type duo going on at the tight end slot with Alshon going up for deep balls and Nelson filling in the gaps. That's how you win. Agree, agree, one hundred percent. I like, I like to like how they used Goddard this past year. Um, they do need to be. I, I, there were times late in the season where I was, I was actually hoping to see him more in the red zone than than we saw uh, him. He, you know, he it, it actually became like a staple at one point. You're like you'd hoping to see Goddard in the end zone. So, uh, yeah, I do want to see them use him a little bit more. And uh, I feel great with tight end, really. Uh, it's the one area, like, I legit have no concerns. Yeah, and moving forward, then, just closing out the offense, that offensive line, really the only holes you have there is uh, JP. Is his time over? I would say it should be. Uh, that in his injuries where every game and it, it would even go quarter by quarter where he's out for one quarter back in for another quarter goes out again. And he's just not consistent enough and can't play for a full year. So I say it's time to move on from him. And then you have to find a replacement for Brandon Brooks. Yes. Um, this is sort of the part that concerns me because, you know, JP, are you going to pay him 8 million, continue to pay him $8 million a year at 36 years of age where he, he, he's just continually or continuing to need breaks coming off off and on the on and off the field I question his ability to play a 16 get 17 game schedule plus uh, I just don't know you know do, do you clear do you get rid of a future Hall of Famer to save yourself eight million dollars because the Eagles don't have a lot of room right now and that would really save them a lot of room but is is Vitai ready you know, is it Vitai or Sam Malo? I always get this wrong Vitae. It's is is he ready? Are we are we comfortable with Vitae becoming the guy? No, <laughs> I'm not. Right. So you know, I think in 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 spots he's been he's been pretty good. He he did pretty well in JP's absence when they won the Super Bowl. He, you know, he did what he had to do. Uh, he's not JP, but um, that's the question. Thankfully, we don't get paid to make those que- the, make those decisions. They're going to have to decide whether they feel like Big V is ready to take that step. And it would be a sad day when Jason Peters is not here anymore because he, that dude has been a stalwart for this offensive line. And to see him go definitely would be, would be hard. But I think it's approaching that time where we may have to cut the cord. Uh, so, and then you've got Brandon Brooks. Um, best right guard, like quietly the best right guard in football last year, right? Uh, there's just times you didn't hear his name at all. And then you just come towards the end of the season. You're just like, man, this guy is really, really good, you know? And, and then he tears his Achilles and it's like crap because now I think they said optimistically November for him, but you know how that goes with putting a guy in who hasn't had any action mid mid season, you know, it, it's going to be rough, especially an offensive lineman at that size. Yeah. So, and I know you and I, we both have, we wrote Jordan Mailata here and it's like, do you cheat? Listen, I have no idea if Jordan Mailata can make any kind of leap 
in between now and, and then then that would be able to allow him to step in and play. I, I think I'm with you. I think no. It's an it's an intriguing concept. And I know that that one day, I think one day he will be a usable asset. But they're going to have to either through the draft or, or maybe through free agency or, or, you know, try to figure out how to plug that hole because that's a big one. Yeah, I, I know I had talked about Jordan Mailata, um half jokingly, half seriously, is just using him as like a bulldozer in the red zone as a running back because he played rugby and could carry the ball, but he was trucking over tiny Australian people, not <laughs> NFL players. So who knows? But I, uh, when it comes to Big V, if they could solidify him as that player who existed in the 2018 playoffs on that Super Bowl run, then I would feel comfortable. But the big V that I saw this past season, too many, too many question marks surrounding him for how long he's been in that position. I was hoping he would take the leap, you know, as the backup to be able to step in and continue playing like he did in 2018. And he just didn't. So I don't know if you attack it. If you're going to attack it in the draft, I say attack it early, get a, get a really solid left tackle because that's your blindside asset. He's guarding Carson Wentz's blindside. You don't just want to go fishing in the fifth round and hope you find someone who can stop some of the best players in the league, you know, right? where when you have a Khalil Mack going up against you in the first round of the playoffs, you don't want fifth round Bob Smith sticking his arms out and hoping that he's able to stop Khalil Mack. So I right. think you go early. If you're going to go for the draft, go first round. I saw Greg Little out of Old Miss is a left tackle, 6'6", 325 with some, some agility. So That's not small. May, maybe you make that move and go that way. <laughs> and then I don't know how you're going to go about fixing Brandon Brooks's replacement. Uh, do you try Milata or Big V in that position? But that's such a different position that I don't know if you can take them from left tackle and move them over to guard. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't think you want to mess with that. People talked about moving Lane Johnson over. I don't want to do that. I don't no, want to no, move no. him. Um, so do I don't. You think, I don't... Do you think that Lane Johnson could make the move from right to left? I, I think that's what I was referring to. Oh, I thought you meant just from tackle to guard. No, I mean people talked about that too, but I. <laughs> I don't. I don't want to move. I don't want to mess with. I don't want to mess with the blind side. Right. Like I, I, or wait, Lane, Lane's, Lane's right. Lane's guarding the right Lane's side. Lane's guarding the right side. But I, I just <sighs> think that he's, he has showed that he's such a stellar offensive lineman that I don't think the switch to left tackle would be so bad. No. If, if they, like, I would be more comfortable with Vitae playing right tackle and then letting Carson see when Vitae can't stop his guy and running out of the way when he has a healthy knee. No, it's, not, a, it's not an all terrible idea. I mean, you move Lane over to left tackle and you feel good about that. You feel confident with him on your blind side. And then you have, yeah, you're right. You could see big V and then you have, uh, you know, you have big V and Sam Malo on the right. And then on the left you have, um, you know, you've got, you got Kelsey at center and then you've got, uh, uh, Johnson, Johnson and Wisniewski. Yeah, I, I think it was with at left guard. Mala. I can't remember who was at left guard. It, it was, that was the one position that was kind of switching throughout the year. With Nuski right. was in there, they had say Amalu in there. Um, so that could be either or. My only question is, do you want to move Lane Johnson 
from right tackle because he's so solid there. That's just a piece of the line that is a certainty. You don't have any it, questions yeah. about that. And and it, you don't know any sort of little adjustment. Moving him to the left, to me, I'm like, oh, it's tackle still, right? But to someone who's played right tackle the entire duration of their NFL career, moving over to that left position, maybe it screws them up just enough to reduce productivity. Uh, yeah, I mean, when they're they're healthy, they're the best right side in, in, in football, I think. Uh, so I don't know. I, I don't doubt that. Lane could do it. I think he could do it. I think it's they might have to play around with it. They might not. Ha- they might have a choice. So I think we're going to have to kind of see uh, if Howie can't figure out a uh, a one year, two year solution. Because the reality is, you're going to have to find someone. Someone's going to have to. You got to get somebody behind Jason Kelsey because he's running on fumes. I, I think you know, and I think he's 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 openly said he's year to year. So you know, you gotta you gotta have a backup for him too. So the offensive line, in my opinion, is at the top of the pecking order in terms of getting young guys in here. Yeah, absolutely. And then uh, flipping it over to the other side of the ball, uh, the defense we will kind of do the defense in general, not so much position by position, because in in my opinion, there's just certain places you need to fill the holes right now. And then certain places where you have a plethora of talent um, where, where there wasn't always a plethora of talent. So it's kind of a good problem, I guess. But starting on that defensive line, you got to ask, are we re-signing Brandon Graham? Um, to me, no. it's you don't think so at all? Uh, no, I don't. I think unless he was willing to take a, a smaller deal to stay here, which guys just don't do in football. Um, he had mentioned that. He had mentioned that he would be looking towards a hometown discount. The question is, would it be significant enough to make that difference where he would be someone you can keep? Listen, I would be fine if he stayed. Uh, I'm. I would love to keep Brandon Graham. He, you know, went back when we drafted him. You, ever, you know, people couldn't stop talking about Earl Thomas. Look at what this guy's become. I, I would love to see him be an eagle for life. Uh, I think the it's going to be an interesting to see what his market is, and you know, if the payday comes along, I wouldn't blame him for taking it. So. Uh, that one is, I think, the one that we're going to be looking at, I think, probably the most because, and the, you know, that's a tough loss to, to have, uh, you know, and I know we have some, some really nice talent on that defensive line, but, you know, we don't know what's, you know, what's going to happen with, are, are you keeping Timmy Jernigan? Do you want Timmy Jernigan to come back? You know, um, so if, if not, then there's a guy that's also gone. Are you going to re-sign Michael Bennett? I think uh, that's, but, a, I, I would say that's a, in my opinion, a must. You have to, re- uh, yeah. I, and he costs both Jernigan and Bennett cost seven million a year. I would think one of those guys gets released as a cap casualty. I think you know because that's fourteen million for two guys. It's a lot of money. So, if that's the case, I say you let Jernigan go. Um, I agree. I just think Bennett from halfway in the season on just became an absolute monster, and we saw that Michael Bennett, who you heard of in Seattle, and. Without any issues off the field, he fit into the locker room very well, and he spoke outward about wanting to come back to Philadelphia. And him with Fletcher Cox was an absolute nightmare for offensive lines. Absolutely, and I'm with you. I out of those two, I would I would keep Michael Bennett. Uh, he was a pleasant surprise in my opinion. Um, so then you're looking at guys like Darby and Hicks are the other unrestricted free agents, and I'll start with Hicks. 
uh, I think he's uh, a see ya. You know what I mean? I, I think at this point we don't really have a choice. He can't stay healthy. He's never been healthy here. He, he, he really didn't. He never he didn't factor into the Super Bowl. He didn't play. You know, he missed a ton of time again this year. And, you know, when he did play, you didn't really hear about him. I think Nigel Bradham is the anchor back there. I think we all know that. And Camus Grugier Hill played really well. He did. He was a surprise this year to me. Uh, you know, with with the with the nickel packages, you're seeing a lot less three three man linebacking core. Um, so if the Eagles continue to do uh, more of that, you know, keep keep doing that and, and focusing on those different secondary packages and not so much stopping the run because they have such a great front four, then I could see them parting, being okay with parting with, with Hicks and keeping Grugier Hill, keeping Bradham and like Nate Garrett, Nate Jerry, you know what I mean? So I don't want to see Nate Jerry on the field. I still think you need someone else back there. So I would still like them to get someone else back there uh, to help those guys out, especially if somebody gets injured. They do have, what's his name? Borlow. That they brought oh, back. Yeah, I guess yeah. he was out. He hadn't. He he tore his ACL yeah, last year. But yeah, he's uh, get, he's 28 years old out of Delaware, and we didn't right. really get to see him. But you know, he's an option as a Nathan Jerry Chite player, I guess. You know. Yeah. He so had I'll, two. Yeah. Go ahead. I, he had two good seasons in Atlanta. Really, three good seasons, but. He just saw tore his some, ACL, right? Yeah, he he was out uh, out all year last year, so that's that's not really want to what you want to see out of your linebacker. So honestly, man, I I would roll with I would let Hicks walk uh, to be honest with you, and then I, I would probably do the same thing with Darby. I I, I think Darby is expendable. Dude, when when we get talking about this secondary, so I'm gonna agree with you on Hicks there. Say let him go, and then figure out. I don't think linebacking is such an issue that you need to assess it early in the draft. If you can pick up somebody who maybe can surprise us in the later rounds of the draft as a linebacker, go with that. Otherwise, you know, like you said, stick with what we have. Now, the secondary, there is a plethora of talent. Rod, um, I'm sorry, uh, Darby, not included in that in my mind. Yes, he's yeah. talented, and it's tough because when you go back and you look at that postseason run, Darby did play uh, a nice role, but he also got toasted, just absolutely toasted by Gronk in the second half of the Super Bowl, and time and time again this year, he was uh, at the wrong end of a bad play. Yeah, I, um, I'm good with letting Darby go. Uh, He's, it's, I wouldn't say he's injury prone. Yes, he's had some injuries. But, yeah, I think it's just a matter of these young guys stepping up. And I think he's expendable. I, I, don't, I don't really know where he fits. I can't say the same thing for Jalen Mills because I think that the coaching staff likes Jalen Mills. And even though he wouldn't be in my starting uh, – he wouldn't be starting quarterback for me on paper, I think that he will because Jim Schwartz likes him. Uh, if, you, if you were to ask me who – my starters are at corner or in the secondary. It's hard because we don't know what's going to happen with Rodney McLeod. I think they have to decide whether or not to bring him back because he's getting older. If they could find a way to do it, I would like it because Rodney played very well. And I think he, him and Malcolm Jenkins make a nice safety duo. 
So let's assume they do bring back Rodney McLeod. You got Rodney and you have Jenkins back there at safety. And then at corner, man, in my mind, I feel like this is not going to happen, but I would go Maddox and I would go LeBlanc. I feel like that's not going to happen, though. I, I, I don't know why I feel that way, but like I said, I think they like Mills. So I could see them letting Darby go, keeping Mills. And then we're also forgetting about Douglas. Like, where does Douglas Yeah, I, was, I, I think he, you know, Craven had a really nice postseason and came on. He was such a big surprise that he was the name we all talked about. But I thought Rasul Douglas all season long when he, you know, we, it started out early. Where's Rasul Douglas? Where's the Rasul that was playing last season? And then he just absolutely turned it on. Uh, I know the Dallas game really sticks out in my mind. And then all that last run of those final three games, Rasul Douglas was playing out of his mind and he's still a young player. So, you know, I agree. I say bye-bye to Darby and uh, Mills is a tough one. I, I was very strong as hating Mills early in the season, but it appears to be that he's a very good leader um, being injured. He, he seemed to be a really good mentor to those young players. I hate, 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 hate his attitude on the field where uh, he's ready to celebrate before the play's even over. Yeah. But that might just be his personality and the players don't seem to hate it. So maybe he's just a really energetic guy who gets into the game. If he can stop getting burnt on the double move, if they can somehow like drill into his brain, stop getting toasted, maybe he could play. Yeah. But yeah. he's lacking he's lacking that speed, so I don't know exactly if he can survive at the corner position where I saw some great things out of Maddox and Cravon and Rasul this season. And I think what's more likely to happen than anything is that they let Rodney walk and then you move either Maddox or Douglas to safety. Maddox is, is rangy enough that I think he could play there. And I think Douglas could too. Uh, so, And then you'd have Mills and LeBlanc at corner. Not ideal in my mind. I want Matt. I think Maddox is athletic enough to play corner. And I think he he made some mistakes this year, but like they're the kind of mistakes you're like, all right, young player you can live with. The dude is athletic and he I, I think he has a nose for the ball. And I really like the way that he plays. So I, I want to, I want to keep, I want Maddox at corner. So realistically, I think you're looking at Mills and Maddox with LeBlanc backing up. And then I think you're looking at Jenkins and Douglas at safety. So what are we doing then with Sidney Jones? Is there any future for him on this team? I, I, it's crazy because I totally forgot about him too. But yeah, yeah, so I much promise, but injury issues, and yeah, I still don't think we know what we have with him. I, I, we haven't, we don't know if he can play. We don't know if he can sustain long periods of of solid play. We just haven't seen it. So he he could, but what I will say is he could go the Brandon Graham route and just bla- just bloom late. You know what I mean? He could maybe he just needs the time. I don't. I think he'll be in the rotation next year at cornerback. He'll be one. He'll be a backup like LeBlanc will, but he'll get time because he'll rotate in in certain packages, and they're going to want to see. You know, they they need to play him to see if he can play. So he's going to get in. So I think it's just and it, with him, it'll be like he'll have to step in due to injury, and if he can, whether or not he can take advantage of it. Yeah, and you know. 
it's not a bad thing to have so many bodies in that secondary now that we're talking about. Um, really, the surprise was just that guys came in and stepped up late in the season and showed us that with a little bit of preparation, they can be solid NFL players. And we didn't even touch on Trey Sullivan, who played very well in the postseason as well. So he's another guy who could stick around and maybe step into a safety position if, if Rodney leaves at some point. But overall, there's a lot of positives for this Eagles team. Uh, looking forward and it's just going to be a wait and see kind of thing. Uh, this is uh, like any media outlet anywhere that is not inside the Eagles war room, the Eagles front office. It's all speculation and we don't know what's going to happen going forward. All we can say is there's a lot of pieces who are coming back who are great players. And I hope that Howie moves on and, and does some magical tricks as he has shown us he is capable of in the past two seasons. And fixes all the holes and we have another really solid team going into next year looking at another playoff run yeah i uh you know hey i trust howie i trust his coaching staff it's it's nice to have faith i think they're going to load up and and get ready for another another run like you said so i am you know i'm looking forward to the draft i'm looking forward to see what they do to reshape this team and i i have faith that they will do just that so it should be exciting man we'll, we'll have some stuff to talk about with the eagles Hopefully some some exciting Philly stuff to talk about soon. And, you know, the Sixers are starting to heat up and the Flyers are finding themselves back crazy enough in, in a playoff race. So they're losing to Pittsburgh 2 nothing right now. But, you know, uh, there's there's excitement to be had all over when, you know, back in uh, back in November, things looked fairly bleak. So, yeah, it, it's crazy how fast the tides can turn and. For that, we'll always be thankful that even when it's bad, Philadelphia sports are what we live and what we breathe. So we'll continue to talk about it. It will continue to frustrate us and make us happier than anything else in the world. Um, I'm really excited moving forward from this episode to go back to our normal Philly sports episodes. And it's kind of going to be like a new, not a new podcast, but we spent a lot of the early years not the early years, but like the inception of a, or what's the word I'm looking for? The beginning of our podcast. Yeah, the early days. Yeah, <laughs> the early days of flying high were focused around this Eagles season, and every week we talked about that a lot because when it is Eagles season, that's what we talk about. Now we can finally focus on the other three sports, and I'm I'm just incredibly excited on getting that normal Philly sports pod where we can touch on the other sports as they come into season. Real quick before we go. Uh, now, you know, it's a segment I like to do where I tell you something you might not have known. Um, I think a lot of people heard about this new league of football. Football is actually back so quickly uh, that it's unbelievable. The Alliance of American Football is the new pro football league that's going to give you your football fix um, when it's not the NFL season. Uh, the fun fact I have about this is a Christian Hackenberg is now out of the NFL and playing still really bad. He had, he had a terrible stat line in his first game. I forget where he's even playing. The team names are hilarious. It's, it's crazy. Trent Richardson got flagged for a touchdown spike because the footballs are so high tech and expensive that they don't want players spiking it. But the crazy thing is the first weekend of AAF beat the NBA on ABC rankings. Oh my. Uh, granted, granted, the game was Houston versus Oklahoma City, so it's not like a huge game, but still, uh, the Alliance of American Football 
had the San rating. Luis Obispo Squirrels outdueled the uh, <laughs> NBA, uh, NBA on ABC. Uh, they the, did, uh, and, and the Sacramento Mike, Mike. Uh, Stallions. <laughs> the uh, the Birmingham Iron. That's a real team. <laughs> Birmingham, <laughs> Alabama, finally has a professional football team. Man, oh my God, Mike Singletary's in it. Brad Childress is in it. Steve Spurrier coaches the Orlando team. It's it's wild. Oh it's my really God. wild. So keep your eyes peeled on that. There's football still, but Jesus. that's all we that's all we got here. We'll be back either sometime this week or next week with our first regular Philly sports podcast in weeks. We also might have some guests on in the future because from what I hear, people like when we get guests on. So always spices things up. But as always, Justin, well, for the first time, it's good to have you back. And as always, thank you so much for everything you do for this podcast. I appreciate it, and you have saved me from the woods today. Hey, happy to do it, man. Glad to be back. Looking forward to next week. Heck yeah. That's it. Send requests. Play us out. So tell me what I'm